Welcome to CritterCast. This is episode 64. My name is Karina. My name is Cassie. And we are your co-hosts of this podcast, a podcast for the love of animals. Here at CritterCast, we talk about the wacky, wild, wonderful world of animals, one critter at a time. And today we are talking about the round island boa. The who what? Mm-hmm. It's Cassie and Karina and we're at it again, sharing cool facts about our animal friends. We make stupid jokes and we laugh a lot, but we also like to learn, so give us a shot. We'll talk about snails and their tweezer teeth, or gush about our love of manatees. We'll tell you why owls are so scary to us, and there's tons more critters that we'll discuss. We promise to make sure you'll have a blast, because you're listening to <laughs> it's such a jam. <laughs> I'm trying to get away from saying yay at the end of every time we say it. It's just become a part of the song now. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. It's just who we are at this point. Yes. Um, so if this is your first time joining, welcome. Here's your quick regular disclaimer that we are very rarely experts here at CritterCast. We are rarely experts on the animals that we talk about our goal is that at the end of this episode, you learned something new that you didn't know before. At least one new thing, right? Hopefully you learn lots of new things, but at least one new thing. That could be an alternate title of our podcast, CritterCast, colon, just one new thing. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of times we really cram in a lot. We really try to blow your mind as much as possible. Um, but, you know, we're, we can't... I, I'm thinking about this because I was re-listening to all the episodes we've recorded recently and, you know, gone through. And I have, in like doing social media for, as those episodes release, realized that there is so much that we don't touch on in our one hour episode, whether <sighs> so we much. didn't come across it in, in research or we had cut it for time. Like there's just so much to know that we don't know yet. Mm -hmm. so, we're not experts. There's always more to learn, but we're just dipping your toes in the pool of these animals. Right. And luckily we have really fantastic podcasting friends who do other animal podcasts. And so we will always link them. Yeah. Cool. Um, but yeah, so, you know, that's just, there's lots of other shows and, and we always share our sources. So if you want to know more, we always make it easy for you to do your own research. But if you're just kind of looking for like, you know, bite-sized tidbits of information, that's right. We're here for you. We so got you. Feel like hanging out with your gal pals on a Sunday afternoon brunch, lunch, and talking about our favorite animals. That's what we're here for. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I will say this animal that we're talking about today, the round island boa, which is a snake. A, a okay. Boa. boa. A snake. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we actually are going to pretty much say everything there is to know about them. Because Ooh. there is not much to know about them based on what we know. Okay, great. <laughs> so it's going to be a little bit of a different episode today. We're going to actually, we're going to talk first about the snake, get that info all out there. But then we're actually going to talk a lot about a really cool organization um, that I came across in my research and then it took over my research. So Ooh. we'll get there. <laughs> oh my, okay. So, the Round Island Boa is a medium-ish snake scientific name. Are we ready? Are we ready for me to butcher Oh, this? boy. You can do it. Casarea ducemieri. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I, okay. It is named after... One of the names is after a French scientist that first came upon them. So it's not super Latin. I like um, the cast part. But there you go. This this one very clearly falls in the in the reptile grouping. Yay! And as we were talking Taxonomy about win, right? So as we were talking about you know platypuses, and then we were talking about birds, and we were talking about all these things. I was like, when we talk about common groupings of animals, mammals, reptiles, amphibians, most of the time that is in the taxonom taxonomic order of things. Yes, that's usually a class but they're not all under the same phylum and order. So it gets kind of confusing, but either way, it's a right. reptile. A very clear reptile does not blur the lines. And it's very clearly a snake. Doesn't blur any of those lines. So phew, we Good don't have to, know. to deal with that today. Excellent. They are as almost all snakes are. No, as all, mm, I will never say all. As almost all snakes are uh, carnivores, carnivorous, of right. course. Right. They're not out there eating the plants. 
Uh, we really have no idea what their lifespan looks like. So that's fun. That is fun. Common, common assumptions for a medium-ish snake out in the wild would probably be anywhere from 20 to 40 years, but that's under ideal circumstances. Right. And most medium snakes don't get to live out their full natural lifespan because there's a lot of things out there. They're size-wise, they yeah. grow up to five feet or Ooh, okay. 150 centimeters for those of you who are using the metric system. Mm-hmm. And their weight is unlisted. Um, they are not as thick as like a python. Mm-hmm. They're, it's more like a boa species. So they're they're not as thin as colubrids. They have okay. that more recognizable boa head shape, like a boa constrictor or a rainbow boa or a, not a Kenyan sand boa, but <laughs> <laughs> I knew, very special. You knew what I was thinking of. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, you know, more of that kind of oblong, not diamond, but yeah, ovalish head than okay. than a than a pretty. colubrid, but pretty, pretty. not as thick as like a python, a ball python, or anything. Okay, like that. yeah, somewhere in the middle there. Yeah, but weight wise, we don't really we're not really tracking how much they weigh. It's hard to get a wild snake to sit still on a scale. I'd imagine, <laughs> like you can guesstimate <laughs> their size pretty easily, but right, having them sit on a scale, I think, is a little. I mean, you'd have to have like a bucket on top of a scale that's been like leveled out. So right. that, and then that you hook them into the bucket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you could do that for sure. Yep. Uh, a couple of basics. What we do, I will say right off the bat, we don't know a lot about this species because they were previously critically endangered. Because of recent conservation efforts, they have moved up the scale to vulnerable, which is nice. Oh, um, but yeah. there's just still a lot that we don't know about them because we weren't really paying attention to them until they became critically endangered. Right. So... There's not a ton of like details, but I'll let you know what we do know. Uh, we know that they are endemic to Mauritius. Mauritius? I, I looked that up too. I know the word that you're speaking of, and I believe that's the name of a place that I have never had a reason to say it out loud, right? It's right. one of those reader's vocabulary things. Right. I totally know. It's M-A-U-R-I-T-I-S, Right. I-U-S, close, but U-S. Very, yes, yeah. you were yeah. you were very close there. And it is indeed an island nation, so a group of islands in the Indian Ocean, east of South Africa, further east than Madagascar. Okay. So very much in the middle of the ocean. Mm. Um, and it's a pretty small island nation, but it's made up of a couple of different islands. Mm-hmm. Now, these snakes, once upon a time, lived on all of the islands of this nation, uh-huh. but now they are only found on the round island, which is how they got their current common name Okay, of the round island boa. They're also sometimes called the round island keel-scaled boa or the split-jaw boa. And we'll kind of talk about why they're called those later. But Makes sense. A couple different common names there. It has been seen um, in research and trying to figure out what the population looks like that males are a little bit smaller than females, which is pretty common in snake species, and their heads are a little bit thinner, but both males and females have keeled scales down their back. This was mean? a word. Yeah. <laughs> keeled? <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't know what that is. And for a while, yeah. I was just kind of skipping past it. Anyway, instead of having a smooth scale, like many species of snake, mm-hmm. they have a ridge down the middle of the scale. Oh. So think viper or, okay. um, or rattlesnake. They have kind of a more textured scale. I think hog noses might also. Okay. Right. Right. So you think of it a lot in more commonly venomous snakes, but... These snakes are not venomous. Okay. Good so, to good to know. Yeah, yes. I mean, it's fine for a snake to be venomous, but oh cool okay. they're not too. I had to look them up. I was trying to wait till later, but I had to look at a picture. Totally fine. Totally fine to look at a picture. They're it's, such cute little dudes. They are really cute. And the fun thing about them, I haven't really gotten there. I put that more in my fun facts section. Yeah. But the fun thing about them is that they are different colors depending on the time of the day. <gasps> They have special skin cells that allow them to um, kind of shift their colors throughout a 24-hour period. So they will be darker during the day when they're not really active and then brighter. They kind of like fire up or flare up at night. And that's that's pretty common in reptiles. I mean, we see fired up or flare ups in lots of gecko types and Mm -hmm. other lizard species. We don't see it as much in snakes, but 
there you go. We do in this snake. Okay. That's cool. Very fancy. So what colors do they, do they, do they have like a common color that most of them generally are at a particular time of the day? Yeah, they kind of, when they, when they fire up, they're more of like a, like a rusty orange color. And then oh. when they are darker, it turns into like a very dark brown, blackish kind of wow. color there. Mm-hmm. That's intense. I know. It's quite a change. Yeah. And they're not, they're not uh, particularly patterned. They do have different underbelly scales than they do on their, you know, over their body, like most snakes do. Right. But they don't have any like distinct patterns. Okay. Okay. Pretty, pretty cool. Very cool. Their breeding patterns seem much like most other snakes where, you know, males and females will come upon each other. They will breed and then females will lay a clutch of soft, um, soft-shelled eggs. Uh-huh. They think they can lay clutches up to 12, which is a pretty average, pretty average brood of, of yeah. little eggs. And they'll usually lay them in like leaf piles or hollowed out trees, places where they're a little bit protected and they have seen some mild protective nest behavior from females, not mm-hmm. like, you know, not not intense parenting. Right. right. Um, but, you know, a little bit of like, hey, let's my nest stay away. Right. Right. Kinda. Like more territorial. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, there's not they haven't done a ton because they're not breeding them in captivity at this point. Um, that wasn't one of their goals in, in research. So they they don't know for sure, like how long they take to gestate or how long they take to incubate. Yeah. Before they hatch. But there's a very similar process to most other snakes. Right. Most other egg laying snakes, because as we've talked about good point recently, yep. not all snakes do. And actually boas often are live bearing species, but this particular snake, although commonly called a boa, is not technically a boa. Wait, what? So it doesn't fall in the same, <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> fall in the same family because these guys uh, fall in a family. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation. Awesome. So, we love so it. Bad. The Boliaridae. Boliaridae. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is only, they're the only species left in this family. Aww. So they're commonly called boas. We throw them in there, but they are not genetically as similar to boas. It is believed that these guys uh, branched off the evolutionary tree over 65 million years ago, which is wow. the extinction of dinosaurs. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Holy like, moly. Now, did they look exactly like they look today? Probably, Probably. not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's where their genetic ancestors diverged yeah. all the way back there. So that's why even though they're commonly called boas... They're, they're not live-bearing like other boas mm-hmm. because they're not genetically all that similar, which is pretty interesting. interesting. That is interesting. There was one other paper that had some information from observing the captive specimens as part of their conservation. Now, I didn't have the time to reach out to the author of that paper to see if they may be willing to send me a copy because I don't know if you guys know that, but even yeah. if you don't have paid subscriptions to fancy journal sites, a lot of times if you reach directly out to the author, they are allowed to and happy to share their their research and their papers with you. I didn't have the time to request that of this lovely author, though we will list her in our sources. And I do have her name written down, but not not where I put this information. It would have been a good place for it. But you know what you can to... also do? Hmm. You can ask your friends who are affiliated with the university if they can look it up in their university libraries. <laughs> yeah, I probably could have done that earlier if yeah. I hadn't been just researching a, just an hour before this recording. <laughs> It's fine. I was running low on time. Future plans. It's future plans. But anyway, (laughs) so I but I did I was able to read the abstract of that paper. That's all you need. Um, Which right, I couldn't have gone through all that anyway. Yeah. And uh, and it did show that they are mostly nocturnal. uh, That they mostly emerge during the day, and that's when they'll generally go out and do like specimen collection to kind of track the populations. Mm -hmm. Um, Significantly different daily activity was reported between males and females. Mm. So like they 
have different day-to-day activities. Interesting. They do have some semi-arboreal tendencies, mostly when they're active, they'll be like up in the trees looking for prey Mm -hmm. and then down, uh, down to nest and sleep at night closer to the ground. Mm -hmm. And they seem to be sit and wait vision oriented predators. Okay. Okay. Like most other snakes. Yeah. Like ambush predators. Yeah. Just kind of sit and hang. And when something comes by, I'm just going to strike at it Yeah, and do my thing. Not going to go out and like actively look for anything because I'll just trust that something will come by at some point. I know where the the high movement paths are. Just hang out here. Why make it harder? This, this, this hunting method has worked for snakes for millions of years. Yeah. Don't make it harder on yourself. Like I'm not going to drive all around town looking for food. I'm just going to go like straight to where all of the fast food joints are and just kind of hang out, wait till someone tosses something out of the window. (laughs) Sure. Sure. (laughs) I mean, uh, sure. (laughs) Um, One thing that makes them different from a lot of other snakes is that their diet is pretty unique. Instead of hunting on mammals and such, they prefer smaller reptiles like geckos and skinks. Oh, no. I mean, it's the circle of life, Cassie. We all got to eat. Okay, okay, I guess. You're right. Uh, we probably also don't know very much about the geckos and skinks living in Mauritius. Mauritius? Mauritius. Thank Mauritius. you. Mauritius, yes. I'm like, I knew I was going to mess that up. That's, uh, that's true. That's a good point. If it's a smaller island that's further out that we haven't, you know, really... Yeah. Not we personally like. Right. Yeah. But we just, we haven't really looked into the animals living on this island yet. So there we go. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Is this island inhabited by people? I mean, yes. Yes, but not like huge populations. Okay. Are there like tribes there? Is there like a city? I mean, there's a government and and such. Okay. And and all that good stuff. And that's, that's part of why a lot of these native populations are suffering because other animals have been introduced because totally. people are there. Yeah. Um, but it's not like a hugely populated place. It's not, um, it's not yeah. like a tourist destination because it is all the way out there. Like, yeah. Yeah. Out there. Well, but, lucky for them. Hopefully that keeps them from more uh, overt colonial attempts. <laughs> yes. Also, if you the know anyone friends. that lives there, please educate us on what I didn't really do any research into what the human populations look like other than researchers. Yeah. So please feel free to educate us and correct. Yeah. That's always a cool way to look for like things that Western scientists haven't really found is looking for like native folk tales or indigenous knowledge, but you know, we, yeah. we have an hour to research. <laughs> right. I mean, well, we have an hour to give you content. Exactly. So. That's what I meant. <laughs> Unlimited <laughs> research time, except for on our own procrastination. And limited by our having full-time jobs. Fair. <laughs> so question. So I've told you they, they prefer skinks and geckos and smaller reptiles. Delicious. Now they're non-venomous, right? Right. They're not constrictors either necessarily. Mm. So how Mm -hmm. do you think they're able to eat more lively prey if they're not? They must be pretty fast, huh? They actually have a fun, specialized jaw. Ooh, tell me about it. Earlier, I said that they were also referred to as split jaw snakes. Oh, okay. So we know all snakes on their bottom jaw have that hinge right in the bottom center, right? Mm -hmm. So that it can kind of open up and they can widen their mouth and swallow their prey hole. Yeah. I guess I don't know that all snakes have that, but that's, that's how that quote unquote unlocking jaw mechanism works. It's a hinge in their bottom jaw. Mm -hmm. These snakes, not only do they have that because they still swallow their prey hole, they actually have a split jaw, their upper jaw, is split the opposite direction. So it's like a front and back half. So it's like a demigorgon. Kind of, but but it's, remember they don't have the split in the front center on the top jaw. It's just like the bottom and the sides. Mm -hmm. That's a better demigorgon. (laughs) So that allows them to more accurately hold on to wiggling prey as they move it down. Makes sense. And then that way they can see where the prey is and keep their eyes locked on that prey 
while they go in for the strike. Yeah, because the break is right below where their eyes are. Nice. That's smart. Good evolution, y'all. Very fancy. They're also the only other vertebrate species, like the only vertebrate species that have this jaw structure. Wow. Other members of their family are already extinct. Right. Survival of the fittest, my dudes. Um, I mean, survival of someone. Somebody and, survived at least. Yay. <laughs> and we know that they that they evolved to have this jaw and to eat this prey because there actually are not a lot of native mammals. Makes sense. On that island. So they had to be able to catch these fast little wrigglers. Exactly. Yep. And, and Amazing. When native mammals were introduced is when their population started being... Uh, decimated not native invasive when invasive mammals were introduced they started getting eaten yeah so in 1976 don't put cats on islands people oh but cats on islands don't do it bad idea preferably cats don't want to be on islands no rats on (laughs) islands either okay yeah and goats and pigs were a big problem for them too pigs okay okay and goats yeah all right i believe it because habitat destruction. Yeah. Because goats are meant to graze away. For sure. All of the things that would be their food. Like yeah. you're taking away all the grasslands where yep. they would live and <sighs> all the places where their prey would live and survive off of. Mm-hmm. So in 1976, when scientists first started going, oh, we have a big problem here. They estimated that there were only about 65 individuals left oh of these my species. gosh. So they were classified as critically endangered, almost extinct. Yeah. Um, But thanks to conservation efforts from a few different organizations, two to three different organizations mainly, um, we now the population has grown by, I think it was a crazy number, like 2000%. You'd have to do the math, but they now believe- Wow. Okay. (laughs) They now believe there to be over a thousand individuals. So we're still talking about a tiny population. Right. Right. Remember we were talking about how there were- what was that, 40, 45 billion chickens in the world? Um, We're talking about a thousand individual round island boas. Oh my gosh. It's a a tiny, tiny population, but it's trending upwards. It's going the right way. Okay. When When I was thinking, like I was going through this list and trying to figure out which animal I wanted to talk about, I didn't want to talk about an animal that we didn't know how they were still doing, you know, how they were right. still existing. So I wanted to have one that was on the upward trend so we could Good. appreciate them and learn all about them. Yeah. Now, how how do we even know what we do know? How have these conservation efforts happened? Have, Who is to thank for this? Okay, so I have I have ideas. I have okay. thoughts, perhaps. Have, um, have zoos been involved? Mm, not really. Oh, okay. So not so much um, captivity breeding programs then. No, no. Ooh, okay. All right. So tell me, what are okay. they doing instead? So first, uh, a shout out to the two organizations that are um, that are pretty much exclusively responsible for, you know, seeing this growth and for this conservation work. The first is the, oh, why did I click out of this link? I don't know why I did that. <laughs> I'm the worst. Okay. The first is the Durrell Wildlife Conservation Trust. Okay. Which is a great um, organization. They also, they do have a zoo and they they did cap, they have a couple of animals captive there, but it wasn't a big breeding program Okay. Um, for them. And the second, of course, is, um, is the Mauritius Conservation Organization. I, was, okay. I had a hard time finding their official name. I shouldn't have, but I did. They um, might have they, changed it a couple of times too. Right. They got sometimes. on board um, helping nice. establish a, uh, a wildlife reserve on Round oh, cool. specifically. But the reason that this species in particular was kind of brought to all those different organizations' attention was from this awesome organization called Edge of Existence Program. Oh, Okay. Edge stands for evolutionarily distinct and globally endangered. Okay. Very fun. That's some high stakes right there. So edge species are threatened species that have very few, if any, close relatives genetically. They often look, act, and are genetically unique. 
And so this organization was all set up to kind of take, because we know we've mentioned it before that most animals, most animal species at this point are at least somewhat endangered or threatened because of human overpopulation and habitats changing and being destroyed. It can be overwhelming for scientists to look at a a huge long list of endangered animals and say, how do we help? How do we prioritize? What do we do? Yeah. So in 2007, the Zoological Society of London established this program and project um, to say, okay, let's take this giant list of animals that are all endangered and try to focus on those animals that are A, most critically endangered, and B, if we lost them, we would have nothing else, anything like it anywhere in the world. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Which is really, really cool. It's actually one of the only global conservation initiatives that Mm -hmm. just... It focuses funding and resources on these specifically identified species. Wow. It's super cool. Yeah, that sounds great. Another quick note is that the Zoological Society of London, uh, which is the establishing charity, which is so cool, that that society was established in 1826. Uh And one of the founding members was Charles Darwin. So we got to love it. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm a Darwin stan. For I'm sure, sure he did some really unsavory things in his lifetime because who didn't in 1826? <laughs> but <laughs> true, but true. His scientific, you know, accomplishments and and uh, contributions. That's what I was looking for. That's brain's, that's right. Yeah, my brain's lagging yes. today. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, drink some more water. That's Thank a good you. idea. You're welcome. And my mouth's getting dry. I'm like, yeah, always drink the water. You gotta ha- hydrate that brain. <laughs> so the ma- the edge the edge ex- of existence program is their their full name but their cool. main goal is to help local governments and stakeholders in the areas where these species are found take steps and ownership to protect their species. Wow. So they'll, you know, they have fellowship scientists, they have their own funding, you know, people donate to them and they'll go out and do kind of like a base layer of research, but their main goal with that information is to take it to the local governments and say, Hey, awesome. What can you do to help with this? So that they're not just constantly everywhere all over the world trying to manage it. Well, and that makes more sense anyway, because if you come in from outside of a community and you try to tell that community how to best conserve you know, the, the wildlife or the, the land there, you, you may be missing a ton of context that, right, that right. the locals know. <laughs> so right. always better to be able to make sure that people who live in that area and have lived in that area have the, the means and the ways and the resources necessary to just achieve the things that they, they've been trying to do. Absolutely. So with all these species on Mauritius specifically, yeah. one of the big first things that they did was say, hey, let's remove all these mammals that are causing all the problems. Yeah. Let's remove the goats, remove the pigs, remove the rats, even yeah. the rabbits and the cats, everybody that was causing a problem and allow the species that still remain to flourish. Let's nice. let not just the animal species, but all the fauna as well. Let's get the plants and the wildlife and the ecosystem back where it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um. So that, so that's been, a, that, which is awesome. That's a great way to approach conservation. So often I think in Western culture, we, we go automatically to thinking about putting them in zoos and breeding yep. them and trying to up their population that way, which is all fine. And I think that's important work too. Right. There's many different mechanisms that need right. to play together. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's extra helpful with larger animals like mammals and such, yeah. but, but smaller animals and reptiles, they are so, mm-hmm. they're generally so hardy that if you just make their environment ideal, mm-hmm. they'll figure it out. Yeah. They're, you know, yeah. And they're, it's way easier for them to breed if they're not worried about predation and habitat. Right. How about that? Huh? Right. Crazy. It's like, I can have 12 babies a couple times a year. Sure. Let me do it. Like, <laughs> right. It really Just helps. Just step back, friend. <laughs> hmm. So uh, the way EDGE identifies which species they need to focus on, um, and it's still a very, very long list, like to be classified as an EDGE species, you have to you have to fit their scoring criteria. And that's still over 2000 species that are classified as edge species. Yeah. But what they do is they look at each taxonomic group, both vertebrate and invertebrate. They've also started doing um, corals too. They break them down 
not always the way you would think. So it's not all reptiles, fish, birds. Mm-hmm. They they do break some of them down that way. Okay. They also are doing like sharks and rays in their own category, corals in their own category. Okay. Is where this is where we need to put a little bit of focus on. Right. And they they score them originally it was periodically. Now they're redoing their lists annually every year as they get more information and you know Makes things sense. move around. Yeah. And it's based on two different scores: their evolutionary distinctness score and their global endangerment score, which is of okay. course all four letters of edge. And then who scores highest should be their research priority. So, right? right? That makes sense. Yeah. Their evolutionary distinctness is scored by looking at a particular species and going to their phylogenic tree. That fancy branch-like physical thing that all of us had to do at one point in junior (laughs) high or high school when we were learning about taxonomy and you had to say, okay, this was this and then it branched off to this and this is similar to this. Oh yeah, I remember studying for that one. Right. That was a big exam. Who has the longest branch that's not connected to anybody else's branch? Because these are the animals that we really want to focus on because if we lose them, we lose everything like them. Right. And then their global endangerment level is scored by looking at the IUCN's red list, which is the International mm-hmm. Union of Conservation of Nature. And that's considered the most accurate and up-to-date because it's it's got the most information and data right. in there. Um, red list of endangered animals. There are other ways to classify endangered animals. We've looked at a couple different ones before, yeah. but that's apparently considered the most comprehensive list. Yeah. So there you go. Definitely. They are also, uh, they made a note on their website that they're continuing to look for ways to score species that lack data from the IUCN's red list because there is quite a bit of data missing in these particular species. And that's exactly the group of animals that they're- That's the whole reason. (laughs) Yes. Yes. They're like, oh, those ones we don't really know anything about. Those are the ones we want to focus on. So (laughs) they're actively looking for a a better way to score those animals. But it's a little bit tricky when, you know, yeah. we're the only ones doing this work right now. Wow. That's really cool, though. It is a lot. It is. It, like, I was fascinated. I read every single, like, page on their website. And are you thinking what of, I'm thinking? What are you thinking? I'm thinking we need to see if we can set up a very special episode. I mean, yeah, I would love to chat with someone there. We should try it. I would okay. super love to. We'll, we'll you have send to an email. Okay, <laughs> will do. Will do. Um, so like I said earlier, there's over 2,000 edge species to date. And while each taxonomic group has its own ranking system, the organization also was like, okay, this is still a lot. 2,000 mm-hmm. animals is a lot to work with. We don't have unlimited funding. We don't have unlimited fellows to send out to all these right. different places because scientists, you know, they got to be everywhere. <laughs> Poor science. Yeah, they do. <laughs> so they also decided to create a list of focal species that mm-hmm. changes annually as well. Um, and this is where they'll send their research and fellows and most money. Uh, and this is usually, it's it's not always just on highest scores because they also want to look at species where if we put a lot of research here, mm-hmm. will it benefit other areas? Right. They're thinking so about though, the whole ecosystem because exactly. there's, there's some linchpin species that if you save that one species mm-hmm. or you help that one species recover, then you can help like that whole right. chain. Or if we've just studied this one species, we might mm-hmm. know what we need to know about another species. Right, right. So uh, what's really interesting is I looked at the list of focal species. Uh, round island bows are on there. That's why I picked them. Nice. I had a hard time kind of picking, but I, bet. I picked them. And some of the other animals that we've talked about are also on this list. So pangolins, a couple of different types of pangolins. Yeah. Um, sloths, specifically pygmy three-toed sloths okay. are on this list, but we've talked about all kinds of sloths. Yeah. And manatees. Oh, sure. That makes sense. Indian manatees. Okay. Which we did talk about a little bit. Mm-hmm. We talked more we about. We focused mostly on Florida manatees, but right. we did talk a little bit we, about we, Indian yeah. manatees. And there was a yeah. couple other animals on there that we've like mentioned, like echidnas are on there, mm-hmm. unsurprisingly. Mm-hmm. Right. Slow lorries, which we've mentioned once or twice, are yep. on there. Um, nothing else that we've talked about in detail, but a lot of animals that are on our list of, we uh, should talk about these eventually. Yes. Perfect. I will say in looking at, you know, the species that are ranked high, 
um, I wanted to do a reptile today specifically. So yeah. the whole reason that I even found out about Edge and all this stuff was because I Googled coolest reptiles, just coolest reptiles. As you do. And it was one yeah. of the first links to pop up was nice. the best, like the top 25 Edge reptiles. And I was like, oh, what is Edge? Okay. And their website was extremely informative. So good on you for having a, awesome. firstly, a visually beautiful, functional, informative website. Nice. Pat on the back for, for Edge there. They're doing... Long distance doing high five, work. Edge. Boom. Boom. Right there. <laughs> um, but what's kind of sad in scrolling through their website is that most... Uh, it's good. There's not a lot of snakes on there, which mm-hmm. is cool. But mm-hmm. there are a lot, a lot of turtles. Oh, man. So many turtles. Aquatic turtles, terrestrial turtles, a couple tortoises, but mostly aquatic yeah. turtles, both sea turtles and like freshwater turtles. Gosh. I was going to talk about a turtle, but I just really want to talk about a snake. I don't like, I just wanted to. Hey, we love our snakes. We love our turtles snake too, time. but yeah, yeah, it's snake time. Well, turtles are having a tough moment right now too, especially with the, the big freeze down south. Yeah. I'm sure everyone has seen the the pictures and the articles about people um, off of the coast, off the Gulf Coast in Texas, trying to save all the sea turtles that were in the area and were having some shock from how cold it is. So so maybe we can put up some lists of places where you can donate to help with recovery efforts. Absolutely. Ah. It is extremely tough to be a turtle right now. You know what? It's just tough to be a turtle in general. Maybe what we can do is maybe we can donate this month's patron, patron, Mm -hmm. um, Patreon contributions entirely to one of these organizations. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. I'm I'm all about it. Let's do it. Yes. Um, mm Mm-hmm. So that was that was just kind of something interesting I saw as I was scrolling through all their lists of animals. It's a lot of the it's a lot of our favorite animals because yeah. it's it's the weird animals. You know we love we our love. weird animals. Platypuses not on the list. And well, I think that's because they are not considered endangered They're enough. doing okay, we think. Although I've we seen think. some recent information in like looking up for pictures to post on social media mm-hmm. this week because as of recording this, our platypus episode has just gone live because right. look at us, we're so ahead. Huh. Um, and I've been, you know, pulling pictures and I've been pulling up some articles mm-hmm. from like 2018, 2020 that did mm-hmm. talk about them as starting to disappear in more urban areas. Mm. But interesting. But when we did the episode, I couldn't, I didn't see any of those articles. And again, well, again, we just, we can only yeah. talk about so much. That's we can't right. do it all. It's that's exhausting. Right. Um, but that's actually everything I have for you today, because well, like I said, really we cool. don't know a lot about this snake, but yeah. I'm really excited about edge species. Yeah. Pulling from more of those to talk about on the show. Yeah. That sounds great. Uh, thank you so much for introducing us to this organization that is doing some wonderful work. That's super a part of the CritterCast mission. Right. Yeah. And thanks for introducing us to a really fun new species that I'd never heard of. I'd never heard of them. I had never heard of them either. So I definitely at least learned one new fact today. So fun. And I I was... these things existed. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And that they're color changing. Like I I knew that, you know, especially um, lizards could flare up or fire up um, Mm -hmm. or fire down. And of course, I've seen colubrids do that too. Mm -hmm. But I have... I just hadn't realized how much of a distinct difference they can go through in one day. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. They have very cool cool. cells. Yeah, very, very neat. And I was looking at the the pictures too, and they look kind of like, they do actually remind me a little bit of a sand boa with that kind of of flattened out, out. Not nearly as shovely as sand boas, but it's not a snout that you see like, Every day. I dig it. It's unique and it's precious and that's beautiful and special. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. I also just think they're, I don't know. I just think they're really, I love all snakes. They're very snakes cute. Are cool. Snakes and are cool. They're just, I I just, snakes are so strange. They And they are so like, they're just so long lived. They're, they're wonderful. They're just amazing. They can just do so much. Yep. Without legs. Super powerful little muscle bodies. Right. Without legs or real no legs. ears. They or don't even need them. Eyelids. Yeah. Just have caps of skin on their eye. It's fine. Yeah, like, they're just, I'm fine. I'm fine. They don't need you. They have I their like, retractable, hingeable jaws. Like, I've been following this uh, this TikTok account that they found an abandoned ball python. 
in a in like at the base of a tree in a park and it was no. covered covered in ticks oh and baby like literally over a hundred ticks on this poor snake and not like not like reptile mites but like just Full ordinary out in the world ticks oh my like, gosh and they and so they they brought it to the vet and they're like well we're gonna do everything we can but we don't know Jeez. you know what we can do they removed as many as they could and then yeah. they uh and then they're it's on antibiotics and it's on everything oh and more ticks gosh. are still off and it's just like this poor ball poor python who baby. knows how long it was out there without it it does not live in an area where it gets warm enough for its right. n- normal that's why we have to artificially heat and light enclosures yep. when we own reptiles mm-hmm. and yet it's it's doing it's just trucking along trying to survive all the while just being like i guess oh. i guess here i am my heart crazy. i oh love my them. gosh that's I love yeah them. important have a very special her. place in my heart yeah <sighs> oh cassie so i tried to yeah i tried to talk about endangered animals in a way that didn't make us feel like we just wanted to die because there's no nothing we can do. because there I think is it's stuff we can do absolutely and if we just focus on it's so sad what can we do we can't do anything then we give up and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy so mm. we got to find yeah. organizations like edge and people and scientists and communities who are doing the good work and we got to support them mm. that's right 100 hmm. percent. we're with it love it yes love we love so it huge shout out to the edge of existence and what was the other one the the Durrell Mm -hmm. wildlife yes Durrell wildlife Wildlife. conservation okay yes huge shout out to both of them that's the last word doing what you're doing you're doing (laughs) the good work absolutely yes yeah wow that was that was a little different than our normal episodes but I think it was really great so thank Mm -hmm. you so much for telling us about all that you are most welcome. I'm so happy to have helped you today. You and did. Learn about a cool new snake. You made me really excited to find out more about that snake and the organization. So mm-hmm. it's very cool. And and just I don't know. It's always nice. It's always nice to learn something new, and and not be a Debbie Downer about it. Mm-hmm. As much as I think it's important to also tell people to stop getting wild animals as pets, like we had to do in our last episode. Please don't get wild animals as pets. Um, yeah. it's it's also fun to be like, how else can you appreciate wild animals? Definitely, right? That's what right. Yeah, I was looking to see. So it looks like the edge um, edge of existence has edge fellows and edge fellow programs and they have people and volunteers and researchers and there is so much that's so cool donate to them and you can follow them and and read through their website there are a lot of ways to be involved i love it existence program that's awesome Mm -hmm. the organization is uk based um, okay but it's a it's a global conversation conservation (laughs) effort so uh, so, you know, you can be involved from anywhere around the world. Nice. I love it. Oh yeah. They have, um, information about how you can sign up for regular monthly giving a single donation, or, um, you can participate in creating a fundraising opportunity for them. That's super fun. They know the struggle. They know the hustle. They okay? do. They, they know the hustle of trying to get funding in a world where nobody cares about science anymore. Um, except for people like us and that listen to our show. That's right. We know they care. All right. I was trying to look and see if the next episode we'll be recording is a guest host episode to shout it out, but it won't. It'll be the one after that. So we don't need to worry about shouting that out just yet. Okay. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. All right. Become a fellow. Apply now. Training courses. What? What? I, I don't think that you can, you could necessarily become a fellow without a background in the right type of science. I bet I could. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you know what, Cassie, nobody's stopping you from applying. <laughs> well, my animals would not love it if I left them here by You themselves. went to just go to an island went for to a while. Go and go do some field work. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure they would like it, but, but you know. Though this is cool though. They have information about all of their like ongoing projects all over. Heck Dang. yeah, they do. Oh, I love it. And if like, 
if when you're going through different species, some of them just they just have an overview, but ones that they've done a lot of work on, they'll list, okay, here's an overview, here is what our plan for them is, or here's what, you know, how we hope to save this species, what their like five-year goals are, what their 30-year goals are, here's what threatens their habitat, and they do like fun word clouds, so you can see like... Nice! Oh my and gosh! Then also, they'll list, if they have a fellow working on or has worked on that species, they'll list that fellow with a cool wow. picture of them being cool. Oh, scientists. that's so cool. And the years that they were actively working on that species, which is really I cool. love it. <laughs> this is why my notes were kind of disorganized because I spent several hours just yeah. kind of perusing the website and trying to decide which of these species I even wanted to mm-hmm. shout out. Because what I kind of wanted to do was talk the whole time about them, but I wanted to talk about an animal too. So I mean, honestly though, like I, I think we what could you have. did work really well. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. we, we were able to learn about this cool snake, but we were also able to learn about this really neat organization. Bite-sized information. I love it. <laughs> I pour some milk on it and I eat it right up. Like cereal. Mm-hmm. It's bite-sized. Yeah. Yeah. That metaphor works. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. CritterCast listeners. Boy, we are on a roll. We are we are doing it. We are recording season two. It's going swell. We're editing. We're releasing. We're planning collaborations. There are collaboration episodes in your future. There are collaboration episodes in your future. Three of them so far. Very, (gasps) very exciting. exciting. And we'll tell you more about them in the episodes, you know, before those episodes. Sure, sure. And on social media, right? And of course, on social media. Awesome. So, Cassie. Yes. I hope you enjoyed today. I did. I loved it. I hope you had a great time. I hope all of our listeners had a great time. If our listeners did indeed have a great time, which mm-hmm. I think they probably did. I know they did. And they just need more. They need more mm-hmm. fun facts. They yeah. need to learn about more animals. They other should cool go things. to the Edge of Existence website and check. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. We're plugging <laughs> CritterCast now. Yes, gotcha. Right. They should do that too. <laughs> but like, where maybe if they if they like the way we deliver information, right. Right. where maybe where maybe could they go? Maybe they could check out the other 63 episodes of CritterCast that are out right now, everywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you find that it's not somewhere you listen to podcasts, let us know and we'll make sure that we get our podcast on your preferred podcast listening app. Mm-hmm. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on our website, which is CritterCastPodcast.com. Yes, it is. It's a cool website. Lots to peruse. We've talked about it in more detail in uh, in recent episodes. So you can get all that information. But there is so much there. Our episodes, our shop, sources, resources, uh, information on how to help animals we've recently talked about. Lots and lots of cool stuff. I definitely recommend taking a look. Yes. Yes, for sure. You can also find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook. Yes, we are the olds. We are still on the Facebooks. So (laughs) we are um, Criticast on Facebook. And you can find us on Instagram, where we are Crittercast Podcast. And you can find us on Twitter, where we are at Cast Critter. Twitter, which, you know, I've had to learn because it is the podcast platform. It is. Apparently. It is. It's the podcast platform, but Instagram is the reptile platform. And since we so heavily talk about reptiles and love reptiles here, we really have a place on trans media. We're cross cross media. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're just, we have a place on both those platforms and Facebook. I just, we needed a Facebook. Even if I just, I'm, it's who I am. (laughs) Let me have Facebook. (laughs) Okay. Boomer. That's ridiculous because you know that millennials are the ones that that literally invented Facebook. <laughs> well, why have the boomers taken over Facebook? Why is they take over thing? everything? <laughs> Thank God they haven't taken over Twitter yet. <laughs> like, I mean, I um, don't know. Not my side of Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I believe there are some politicians who would argue that they have tried to. <laughs> this is accurate. Oh my goodness gracious. So those are all the places that you can find us. If you are interested in collaborating with us, sharing more information, whatever you may be, please feel free to also email us. You can email us at CritterCastPodcast at gmail.com. Right, you, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. As always, if you have interesting fun facts you want to share, stories you want to share, pictures, videos, you can always tag us on social media and all those places that we talked about. We always love engaging with other animal lovers. Yeah, we do. It just and because we learn lots of fun facts that way. So I mean, cool. like we said earlier, we can't do it all, but our other fellow animal podcasts and just animal lovers, um, experts in some animals, they love to share their knowledge and their passion. We're part of an ecosystem. We really are. A it's, podcasting it's, ecosystem. And it's symbiotic, man, that relationship. Yeah. We just, we all need it each is. other. It is. <laughs> yes. We really do. We which do. is awesome <laughs> and great. And do not forget that if you do listen to us on one of those major podcasting platforms and you really love our show, we would love it if you would follow slash subscribe and leave a review. Reviews make our day. They just Ooh, make yeah, us they happy. do. I love oh, reading love people's them. fun comments. I'm a performer at heart, so I really like, I thrive off of positive feedback. That's right. And I may wilt away if I don't get some soon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Clap to keep her alive. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I, yeah, it's just, I think part of pre-recording episodes has me like, I wait weeks for to hear, (laughs) to hear how people feel about these episodes that I spend so long, like. Psyching myself up about. I know. I know. But it's going well. It's going. Did you know our platypus episode? I haven't checked in a couple of days, but it had like 70 views the first day. Oh, wow, that's listened. great. It's a podcast, Karina. Yay. Yes. Things are going well here at CritterCast. I hope the week slash bi week, because we only episode. <laughs> we only have- <laughs> This this episode is going to be tough to. We're going to have some fun editing. Yep, <laughs> because I can't talk. Apparently, <clears throat> okay. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I didn't use my tongue enough today. No, it's fine. <sighs> hmm. Okay. It has been a wild episode here at CritterCast, learning all about Round Island boas, the Edge of Existence program, and so much more. Thank you for coming along for the ride, for learning some new facts. We hope that you all enjoyed it. Yeah. We're sure you you did because it was we're, amazing. We're sure you did. Yeah. We love all of our CritterCast listeners. We so love much. you guys because we know that you are the type of people that do, in fact, care about science and, and endangered animals and all the interesting stuff. But you also love to laugh at us mispronouncing words and uh, and tripping over ourselves audio leaf <laughs> that's right <laughs> oh my goodness i think we're just gonna i think we're just gonna call it this episode just kind of has been what it is so we'll just go ahead and say for now see you later alligator after a while crocodile this is the critter cast podcast